0: The first reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verses 13 through 15. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on His own, He will speak only what He hears. And He will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify Me because it is from Me that He will receive what He will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive for me what he will make known to you. The second reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 8-11. through But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, pour out Your Holy Spirit on me and on all of us gathered here. Lord, take my words and make them Yours. Take all of our thoughts and make them Yours. And take our hearts and set them on fire for You. Father, we love You. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> so one of the like, final projects you have to do in seminary before you graduate is you have to write out uh, what they call your credo, which is the Latin word for I believe. Uh, it's literally a really long, far too in-depth paper on what you believe about everything. And there's detailed questions, and it just goes into an excruciating level of detail about what you believe about the Christian faith and life and death and how to practice the faith daily. Uh, and it's a long and torturous and painful thing that I would never make you all do. But I have to wonder, if you had to do it, what, what exactly would you write down? If I asked you, what do you think it means to be a Christian? What exactly do you believe, what would you say? I'm willing to bet most of us actually don't have much of an answer. We might have like a few short sentences, but we probably can't go in depth on it. Or it would be full of lots of statements like, well, I, my pastor says this, or the Bible says this, and very little about I believe Most of us, for most people, the Christian faith boils down to I'm going to go to church on Sunday morning. I'm going to listen to the sermon. I might go to Sunday school. That's the list. See, for a very, very long time, two or three hundred years at least, the, the church in the Western world has been able to rely on society as a whole to enforce parts of its belief, right? The, the moral parts, the way you're supposed to live, the way you're supposed to behave, all of these things. Because it's been the dominant force in society for so long, it was just the case that everyone kind of went along with it and the church has done a really poor job of actually teaching people what we believe and why. It hasn't seen the need. And the result is that most people in reality, they might call themselves Christians, but most people in Europe and North America today are really practicing moralistic therapeutic deism. We can get that up on the screen. That's what most of us are really practicing. This is this is really the term for what most people in the Western world who call themselves Christians are actually doing. Moralistic, because well, there are there is a moral component, right? It teaches you how to live your life the right way. We want to know how to be a good person. We want to know what rules to follow, what we can and cannot do. And so we sometimes boil our faith down to little more than a set of rules things we're not supposed to do, things we are supposed to do, how to be a good person, how to be kind to someone. And, you know, that's not inherently bad. It would actually be a great thing if the world was full of people who went out every single day trying to be the best person they can be, trying to treat other people uh, as fairly and kindly as possible. And if you want to get right down into it, actually, this is what the founding fathers of America were. Very few of them were genuinely, truly faithful, practicing Christians. They were this. And they would have told you so, in fact. That's why Thomas Jefferson edited his Bible so much and cut out all the miracles. Because they were this. And you see it reflected in our Constitution. At least, especially the moralistic part, right? Trying to set it up so that we are a society of people who go out and do our very best to be the best people we can be, to treat everyone around us with fairness and justice and kindness and compassion. And that's a good thing. Really, it's a noble and beautiful thing. But it doesn't take long to look at the world around you and realize that it's not actually working out the way we want it to. Most of us actually do kind of a poor job of going out and being the best person we can be each and every day. Lord knows the world just seems like it's falling apart at the seams at times, and, and even if everyone starts out with noble intentions, most of them fall short of the goal. But still we try, so Moralistic. Therapeutic because we want a religion that makes us feel good, don't we? I mean, we we want right. Y'all get really quiet when I preach a sermon that pokes at you a little bit. Have you noticed that? (laughs) (laughs) We want religion that makes us feel good. We want to come to church on Sunday morning and hear a sermon that makes us feel warm and fuzzy inside, and then go home. We want someone who will uh, pray with us when we're sad. We want someone who will who will. Uh, say comforting words from Scripture when we need to hear it. We want the support and encouragement of a community of like-minded people. And yet again, none of that's bad. Please hear me. It's a good thing. If you are ever sad and want someone to pray with, call me. Come to my office. Well, I, I will happily pray with you. That's not an issue. Right? And in fact, prayer is therapeutic. That's not just speculation. We know for a fact that it makes things better. There is scientific data that shows us that patients in hospitals who are being prayed for do better than patients who are not being prayed for. The efficacy of prayer is not in question. The therapeutic effect of religion is not in question. It's there. We know it happens. The problem comes if if sometimes we come to church and that's all we're wanting, we're going to have a bit of a, a problem. How many people do we all know who will walk out of a church That challenges them from time to time. Because I gotta tell you, if you really pay attention when you read through the gospel, uh, it's not all warm fuzzies. (laughs) There's some, right? Remember the part where Jesus makes a whip and drives people out of the temple? That happens. He makes the whip, right? It's premeditated anger, right? He thought about the rage for a while and made the whip and then drove them out of the temple. Sometimes God's mad and he expresses it. The Bible challenges us and it pushes us and if all we're here for is the therapeutic part of it, we're in deep trouble. And then deism because it does at least acknowledge the existence of a God. There is a God. He's probably up there somewhere. Doesn't talk to us much. Doesn't interact with us much. This this is the basic religion of the Western world. And it's really easy for it to disguise itself as Christianity. Because, in point of fact, all of these are good things, right? None of these are actually bad. It's not bad to to try and live a good and moral life. It's not bad to turn to religion for comfort and help. We know it works. It's not bad to acknowledge the existence of a God. And so we try to live a good life and we treat the Bible as a book full of good and useful teachings and we treat Jesus, in effect, as a really good, excellent teacher with a lot of wisdom for us to learn from. And see, all of that is true. It's a good thing to go and try to live the best life you can, the most moral and ethical life, and treat people as best as you possibly can. And the Bible is, in fact, a book that is full of good and wise teaching that we should learn from and pay attention to. And Jesus was, in fact, a really good teacher with a lot of wisdom that we should learn from. But if that's where we draw the line, then what we have is what John Wesley referred to as the form of religion without the power. And in fact, the full quote from him is something along the lines of I'm not worried that the people called Methodists will ever go away or disappear. I'm worried that they will have the form of religion with none of the power. That was his greatest fear before he died, and I hate to say it, but it does look as though in many ways his fear has come true. You know, as a, as a pastor, right, you develop a sense for... Right, I know when people come to me after the service and say, good sermon, pastor. I know if, if they really mean it or they're just saying it because that's what you're supposed to say. Right? In other words, I, I can tell when you actually paid attention to what I said and are going to think about it and apply it to your life. And I can tell when it didn't really matter to you. Um, I don't know why Susie's laughing. Susie's over here. <laughs> <laughs> you're not one of... And, and listen... <laughs> Before you think I'm being too hard on you, you should know, right? Lots of people here will come up to me after the service and say a good sermon. And I know each and every one of you actually paid attention and listened and, and, and is going to think about it and maybe apply things to it. You guys are ahead of the game. You get extra Jesus points. It's, you really are. This is a good thing for you. Because <laughs> I've been in churches where no one cared what I said. That's not you all. But still almost all of us will either ignore or outright reject the supernatural side of the Christian faith. And it really, this, this is not like your fault. This isn't a finger-wagging thing at you. This is largely the church's fault because what happened is as the Enlightenment age came upon the Western world and science was growing by leaps and bounds and all these incredible discoveries were being made and there were these sort of scientific celebrities rising up and all their work was being published and people saw an alternative way of understanding the world that was easier to comprehend and less challenging to them personally, the church felt like it had to dumb down the faith. It felt like it had to get rid of the weird stuff that was hard to understand and that challenged you and pushed you and it became little more than this because they thought this is what was needed to keep people coming back to church. And as a result, we lose out on the mystery and the power of that is inherent in the Christian faith. Do you know when we take communion, we took it last Sunday, we believe that Jesus is really and truly present in the elements we consume. That's actually a Methodist belief. We believe that. We believe it is a means of grace that when we receive communion, we are receiving God's grace directly in a way that somehow, mysteriously, we cannot get any other way. Do you know that's why only clergy can do it? That actually is why I'm ordained, right? They don't ordain me to preach. Any one of you can come up here and preach. We ordain people specifically for communion and baptism because we believe they are so sacred and so powerful that only those directly called by God and set aside for that purpose should be allowed to administer them. But how can we teach people that if we aren't actually thinking about and applying the part of our faith that is mysterious and hard to grasp and supernatural? Most of us are willing to recognize that Jesus was a good teacher. He saves us from our sins, and then we stop there. Maybe he's a comforting thought. Maybe we like the thought that Jesus saved us from our sins and loves us. But we don't grasp the full power of who he is. He he doesn't just pardon us from the penalty of our sin. He breaks the power of sin over us in the first place. Do you know how big a deal that is? Do you know the power that sin has to rule over you? The Bible teaches that the love of money is the root of all evil, which means it's a sin. Do you know what money can do to you? Do you know how many of your decisions every day are governed by the love of money and by the fear of not having it, or the anxiety or stress that comes along with thinking about it all the time and letting it rule over you? Do you see the way it can dominate your life in every possible aspect? And not just that, but any possible sin that might worm its way into your heart can do the same thing. They can dominate all of your decision-making. Sometimes without you even seeing it. It's not just that we're freed from the penalty of it, we're freed from the power of it. Have you ever wondered why the Old Testament world seems so much worse than ours? Because Jesus broke the power of sin. It's, it's just it's true that people are in some way freer to make better choices, kinder choices, than they were before he died on the cross. Is that not Amazing. He frees us from the power of sin. He broke the power of death itself. He rose from the grave. Do You know, that's not just something we believe as like a myth. The Gospels are eyewitness accounts. And by the way, the first people who saw him were women, which in the first century in in the world, if you were going to try and make up a story about something in first century Roman Empire, you would never say that women saw it first because no one would believe you. Sorry, ladies. You know, women at that time were not allowed to testify in court. If you kill someone and the woman was the only witness to your murder, it wouldn't matter. She couldn't testify. We know that that story is true precisely because they said the women saw it first. No one would make it up if that was how they were going to tell it. He broke the power of death. Death isn't the end for us anymore. Think about how that changes everything. And finally, he awakens us to the supernatural. See, the things that go on in this life that we cannot explain or predict, can't understand. Because of of our faith, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live for the good of others and the glory of God. See, it's with the power of faith that that the things in here actually matter. You want to live a good and moral life? You really can't do it all that well if you're not empowered by the Holy Spirit first you're going to fail over and over again. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that you get better at it. You want the therapeutic aspect? Imagine, imagine the knowledge of God present with you each and every moment of your day. That's the power of faith. Most of you in here have been baptized or confirmed in the church. Most of you probably gave your life to Christ a long time ago. Most of you have been coming to church just about your entire lives. And so you would call yourself a Christian, and I would agree with you. You're Christians. Good job. You believe in Jesus. You pray. Most of you read your Bibles. If you don't, start. But does your faith have power in it? The book of Ephesians, Paul says this to the church in Ephesus. This is why it is said. Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. See, the church in Ephesus was going through the same thing that we are now. Their faith was was sort of dying out and flattening out, and it was losing the power. And they still had the form of religion, but they weren't actually believing the depth of what it meant. So Paul urges them, wake up, rise from the dead, and let Christ shine on you. Believe in the things that we've always taught you, and see what he's going to do. Every time throughout the history of the church there has been a revival or an awakening or a growth of the church, not just one church, but the growth of the church. It's been because people people woke up and reclaimed the power that is inherent in the Christian faith. The power of the Holy Spirit present with us day in and day out to work miracles and to guide our steps. it's always a weird thing to talk about with Methodists because we're supposed to be like the reasonable, rational, calm people. But I've got to tell you, if you ever read some of John Wesley's stuff, he was not all that calm or rational all the time. You know, if you, if you really read through like his diaries and the, the events that happened when Methodism was just starting out, there's accounts of prayer meetings that lasted until 3 and 4 in the morning with people seeing visions and speaking in tongues. Have I freaked you out yet? Yeah, good. Sometimes God does weird stuff. And if we're not ready for it we're going to have a problem when God starts moving in us our faith is not meant to be dry or, or just a comfort when we need it our faith is meant to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and yet so many of us treat our faith like it's, it's behind the glass right? break glass in case of emergency then you go get your faith when you're in real trouble and that's when you pray what if you prayed every day for the same things. So you have to ask yourself, is your faith something that, that, just to get you through difficult times? Is that all your faith is? Is it something that's there to comfort you when you need it? Or is it, is it the orienting and organizing principle of your entire life? The one thing through which you see everything else. The one thing that guides all of your decision-making in life. See, too many Christians will acknowledge their faith, but they don't actually put their trust in Jesus in any kind of meaningful way. And so their day-to-day life does not look any different from the people around them who have no connection to the church whatsoever, except that they say they believe in Jesus, which is a good step. At the end of the day, our gospel is too small. It's too small. We put limits on it, we put a little box around it, and we give it its nice little place in our life and then we just keep it there. Right? How often do we like to say, you know, our faith is a private matter? We, we accept it as some kind of insurance policy. If I die, at least I know I have the faith. Right? We might buy into it as like a ticket to wealth and health, which a lot of people do. Believe in Jesus and he'll bless you. You'll be okay. You'll get a mansion and a Ferrari. That hasn't worked out for me yet. We might subscribe to it as like a social and ethical creed, the thing that teaches us how to be good people and live good lives and and all that. But that's too small. That's too small. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the singular yet comprehensive solution to all that is broken in our lives and in this world. That's the full power of the gospel. Everything that's broken can be solved with the gospel. Think of all the problems we have, both in your personal lives and in our broader culture. All of those problems are addressed with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. All the hatred and the division that runs rampant in our world right now, that's solved when you start to see people as beloved children of God, people who Christ died for, who need to hear the good news. People whom God loves and wants to bring to him. Imagine what would happen if we started to actually look at people that way. Even, even the weirdos who didn't vote like we do, right? Jesus loves them too. Imagine what would happen to, to economic problems if everyone actually adopted the beliefs of the gospel that God will provide for you and that God wants you to care for other people and give generously at all times whenever you can. Imagine all the fear and stress that would go away if we simply trusted in God to provide for us and care for us and heal us and even conquer death for us. See, I can tell that we have put our trust in other sources because I have Facebook. And I can see all the kinds of things we post and all the things we worry about. And I can see in every election, for as far back as I can remember, elections happening, all the Christians saying, if we just elect this person, all our problems will be solved. If only you idiots would vote like I do, we'd have our problems fixed, right? We put our trust in other sources. And they will always fail us. Every time. Because the only solution is the gospel. And more and more, we don't genuinely believe that day in and day out more and more our faith becomes the kind of thing we turn to in emergencies and times of stress and then the rest of our daily lives it's just not that important to us anymore. But imagine what the world would be like if we actually believed in the power of the gospel to transform it, to fix all of the problems out there and in here. What would our faith look like? So you're you're going to have a challenge this week. Because the problem for all of us, myself included, is that we have to wake up our faith. We have to wake up that part of us inside us that actually connects with God day in and day out and lets him guide our steps and put our trust in him. To trust in the power of the gospel, to actually fix all that is wrong and broken in this world. There is no problem it cannot fix. There is no heart it cannot touch. And that's a hard thing to do. You know, in the ancient world, uh, Christians didn't have watches or clocks to tell time with, surprisingly. Uh, and, and so when they wanted to keep track of how long they would pray, they would use something like this. It's so just a little rope with knots tied in it. And on each knot, they would recite a prayer so that they could count the number of times they'd recited the prayer. And, and that's how they measured how long they would spend praying Every day. Most often the prayer they would recite is very simple. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Over and over and over again. And that word mercy, it's not, it's not a, like begging for forgiveness or anything like that. Mercy implies compassion and healing and love and reconciliation. It's this, it's this great comprehensive word that asks for everything we could ever want from God. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. So maybe this week, if you're trying to figure out how to awaken your faith and how to give your power back into the form of your religion, maybe, maybe where you start is by praying that prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Heal me. You might even say, Lord Jesus Christ, awaken me. Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.